I've had so many things happen to me that I never dreamed would happen. And it's all a result of uh, being around good people and getting on good teams. Coaches, how are you today? This is Coach Kevin Furtado. I'm the head girls basketball coach at Lake Oconee Academy in Greensboro, Georgia. Welcome to episode 11. On today's episode, I'm interviewing Coach Matthew Smith. He's the head boys basketball coach at Gordon Lee High School in Chickamauga, Georgia. He has coached 17 years. He's head boys basketball coach for seven years, head girls basketball coach for six years, four years as an assistant coach. He's currently entering year two as head coach at Gordon Lee High School in Chickamauga, Georgia. First job was a Young Americans, Young Americans Christian School in Conyers, Georgia. Started off as a student assistant coach at Tacoa Falls College. He is the founder and director of the United Basketball Clinics. Let's welcome Coach Matthew Smith. The five players on the floor function as one single unit. Team, 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 right? No one more important than the other. Coaches, here is a quick timeout by two of our sponsors. Dr. Dish Basketball is an accelerating player performance with the most innovative game scenario training solution available, allowing coaches and players to build their legacies faster than ever before by providing the most usable and advanced shooting machine, integrated training management system, and a vast library of complete workouts and drills. Dr. Dish Basketball has become the preferred source for basketball training with progressive coaches and players. Championship Vision believes in Dr. Dish Basketball. Championship Vision website. I would like to thank championshipvision.org for supporting our podcast. If you want to improve your game as a coach, you find the great resources at championshipvision.org. Coach Smith. Hey, how's it going? Kevin, Good. How are you? Good. Hey, um, Audio works. I just uh, did a podcast with a friend of mine uh, from Ohio, and um, it, I, I got to do it again. So, but uh, welcome. I, I appreciate you coming on, man. Hey, no problem. This is good. Hey, one quick question: Should I take it off speaker? Um, pretty good. It's probably better if you don't have it on. Just for um, just to hear it better with audio. Okay, let me take it off. Well, I don't know if I shoot. I don't know if I can take it off speaker now that we've already started. No problem. Hey, actually, um, should I call you right yeah. back? No, no, that's good. Actually, actually, I hear you. I can hear you good. It'll be good. Go back. I'll go back. Now it sounds fine, Coach. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, hey, again, what? What? Uh, I've already introduced you and so forth um, on a previous segment and so forth, and I appreciate you uh, coming and joining us. Um, so I, I, I'm so excited to kind of get you on this podcast here. I know I like to pick your brain on a lot of things that you're doing. Hey, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into coaching and. Um, 
Was there anybody that had a big impact on you becoming a um, head coach? Oh, absolutely. Well, I went to a small college in North Georgia. I actually went to play, you know, another sport, not basketball. But I, I, I always loved basketball. Played in high school. It was my I, my passion. I, I really enjoyed it. And I got to college at Tacoma Falls College, and I got hooked up with the head coach there. And um, he let, he put me on staff, for lack of a better word, as student assistant for a couple of seasons. And what's great is it was a small school, so you know he gave me. A lot of responsibilities, some recruiting, some film breakdowns, some practice uh, involvement, things on the bench. So it, it was good. So I did everything from laundry at three in the morning to driving the vans uh, three states away for games to setting up travel, organization, and had a little say-so in the X's and O's, watching film. It was really good. But I think I found my love for basketball. You know, maybe a guy you know, I know he um, – coach not far from where you are at one point but Tony Duckworth he was my eighth grade coach and man I just fell in love with basketball his style the way he treated us and coached us up so yeah I just fell in love with basketball and played it all through and um, then after college I was able to just continue to get head coaching jobs Uh, it sounds crazy to say that but I'm like at my fifth or sixth school and people keep hiring me for some strange reason (laughs) Yeah, uh, you grew up in Macon, is that correct? Yeah, I grew up in Warner Robins. Uh, okay. Grew up in Macon in Houston County there. Great town. My family's still there for the most part. And, uh, yeah, I went to a small private school there and, uh, you know, played three sports. Uh, it, was, it was a great high school, good environment. You know, a lot, of my, a lot of my classmates actually turned out to be teachers and coaches as well. For my class, which was pretty small, there are several teachers and coaches in there, which says a lot about the culture of the school and, you know, how we wanted to, you know, go into that career. Yeah. And, and I know um, you're building a good program at Gordon Lee. I've been doing this kind of checking up on some things. Um, This is your second or third year, Matt, at Gordon Lee. This is starting my second year. And so um, I coached boys for a while in the Atlanta area, and then I took a girl's job, and then I coached girls basketball. Man, golly, it may have been seven, eight years, but I knew I wanted to get back into boys. So I took an assistant job here in Chattanooga at a local private school, and then when Gordon Lee opened, I mean, it's such a unique school, a unique town. They love their sports. Um, I applied for that and was blessed to get it. So we're going to start my second year there, and and uh, I'm really excited about the – way the program's going, the involvement of the kids, the, the parents are great, the fans. I mean, it, it's a really special place tucked up in northwest Georgia that a lot of people don't know about. Yeah, and um, I'm kind of big on, you know, the core values of a program. I probably – I just think it's – I think all your top programs have that. What, what are some, like, some core principles that you guys are kind of really, you know, hanging your hat on at, at Gordon Lee? Well, honestly, it changes – Sometimes based based on who I guess the youth of a team, but I, I think I've got a couple of mantras uh, that we go by. You know, uh, one is do your job, whatever your job is, do your job, do it well. If your job is to be the guy on the bench cheering, your job is to be a good student. Your job's to go in the game when I need you to. Like you just do your job, and do the best of your ability, and then we just want to be responsible and reliable and respectful. And uh, to our teachers, to our coaches, to the referees, to our parents, 
So, uh, you know, the longer I coach, I've gotten away from a, a bunch of list of quotes and mantras and things like that. But I just have two or three that we talk about. And uh, but I think if you're responsible, you're reliable, you're respectful and you're responsible for doing your role, that uh, that's a pretty good uh, dynamic right there. Yeah, and, and it's simple. I mean, it's simple, but it's actually difficult to do. Um, yes. <laughs> right? And, le- and less is better. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that over the years of coaching, and, man, I've had printouts of quotes and things for players to remember. And I'll be honest with you, I bet my assistant coaches couldn't tell me what they were. So I just think that our job is to represent the school, to uh, be a good steward of our time, to show the Gordon Lee way as we travel around Georgia and, and parts of Tennessee and play basketball. And yeah, I, I definitely believe in playing with pride and playing with passion and, you know, the name on the front of the Jersey matters and our kids care. I'll tell you this. Most of my kids' parents went to Gordon Lee. I mean, they, when they put that Jersey on, they really take pride in it. Um, and I, that makes me really happy knowing these boys, it matters to them. Yeah, and it's being from that small community. I think it's great. I've I've been I've done both. I've done some bigger schools, and my my favorite schools are the smaller communities. Um, and I know that's it's kind of like a family family atmosphere, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it really is. I mean, when we have a Friday night game, and our gym's pretty small. I mean, it it is packed out. It is a loud student section. Um, literally, it's a it's a one red light town. You know, we're tucked there in Walker County, and uh, we're definitely not the county seat there. There's some bigger towns close by. And you're right, playing for Gordon Lee, a small community, there's not a lot to do on a Friday night or Saturday night. We're going to come watch a basketball game or a football game or a baseball, softball game. No, it's really impressive because I've been at small schools, but it's been a long time. It's been early in my career. And even those schools were in Metro Atlanta. So you're in a smaller right. community, but you're still a part of the larger Metro Atlanta. So you didn't really feel that small. But, I mean, Gordon Lee is phenomenal, and I've got great assistants. The players are great. Um, you know, I know we're going to hit tough times. I know we're still in that honeymoon phase. But I think if we play the game the right way for the right reasons, you know, that we'll, uh, we'll be okay. Yeah, and what's the history of Gordon Lee boys basketball? I know the girls won the state title. I think you told me 2013. What's the tradition of Gordon Lee? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, they've uh, struggled uh, as of recent. Um, I think in the 90s and early 2000s, they had some really tough teams and some really talented players and won some region championships and made some runs and did some good things. Um, The last three or four or five years, they've struggled a bit. And, you know, I think there's no necessary reason for that. I think at a small school, you have classes that trot out eight or nine athletes that help you in all sports. And then you have a year where you may have a couple of down years when it comes to athletes. Maybe they don't, maybe they just play baseball. They just do football. And, and, uh, but I think we're on the upward spiral. My numbers are good participation in the program. We're an extremely difficult region. Um, and there were North Cobb Christian and Darlington and Mount Bethel. Um, yeah, and yeah, they're good. France. I, I mean, it, it's a brutal region. Now, Georgia, <laughs> yeah. and you know this because I believe you're single A as well, you know, we'll separate once you get to the uh, – after the region uh, tournament for the state, you have a private school state and a public school state. But to get to the public school state, you still have to go through the gauntlet of some of those other schools. So I would say the state champion comes out of our region – 
almost every other year, and we definitely have a representative in that game. It's really impressive the talent that's in our um, region, which extends into Cobb County, North Atlanta, Marietta. So, so yeah, yeah, um, and um, hey, tell me if you can't, because sometimes the auto is a little. Tell me if you can't hear my question sometimes. Um, okay. but I, I can hear, I can hear you pretty good. Uh, well, I, and I, I can relate to that because, um, we're in region seven, a, and we have like last year, our boys region, unbelievable. We have Wilkinson County. We have Aquinas. Um, I mean, last two years, Welco, they won it two years ago. And then Aquinas won the boys last year or well, in, in, in private. Right, right. Um, so it, it's a lot of talent. The girls are actually, it's hard to win it in the privates. We have a lot of private schools that I told you before, Stratford, all those schools that you're familiar with. Uh, but we also have some really good public schools and we have a big old raging coach. Um, so I can relate to what you're going through a lot. Hey, tell me about your, your cornerstones, um, of your program, we believe here that that defense is number one, taking care of the ball and rebounding. What are your top three that you focus on? We focus a lot on transition defense. I mean, our league is so athletic and get up and down. If you can't play transition defense, you'll literally you'll get run out of the gym. Uh, transition defense, and again, right on top of that, half-court defense. I mean, you've got to go to lockdown for long possessions if you can stop them from running. Um, we value protecting the ball. Uh, we really want to protect the ball. And then I want to take a really good shot selection. You know, I, I mean, I, rebounding would be our, in there as well. But I think shot selection is such an undertaught skill in high school. Um, and players have to understand it. You know, you can't get frustrated with a player with their shot if, unless they understand and agree with the philosophy of the offense. I mean, they can understand it, but they don't agree with it. They're going to fire them up. So you have to, like, be on the same page. You just can't yell at a kid when he takes a bad shot. We need to understand – you need to teach them why this was a bad shot. Uh, protecting the ball, again, is very important. I mean, last year's team, you know, we did a, a really good job protecting the ball. Now, we didn't force a lot of turnovers last year. We really didn't. We, did, we really didn't get out and pressure you full court or anything. But uh, we want to we win the turnover battle. And, I, and I'll tell you, I won that – I don't think a lot of coaches focus on, but I preached this a lot with last year. So when I took over the program, I went through all the stats in the previous year, and the free throw differential was like none I've ever seen. If I remember correctly, um, the year before I came in, uh, our program had given up 495 free throws, and we'd only attempted 296. <laughs> yeah, and and you look at you look at the uh, scores like man, there's a lot of three and two possession losses in here, and so we really and it's nothing I did. It's the players bought in and they they believed in it. We flipped it, and last year we averaged almost 13 free throws a game, and we gave up about eight. So we literally turned the table. And there were a lot of games. You walk in the locker room, you win by six, you win by three. And it's but we shot 17 free throws, the other team shot eight, and we hit 10, and they hit five. And those are really difference makers. I mean, I believe in putting pressure on the officials, attacking the paint, shot fakes, getting to the rim hard, and, um, you know, getting to the free throw line. I'm a big believer in that. And, and, I, and 
I broke it down on paper, but once the guys started to fall in line with it, we it, it really was eye opening. So we would talk about like we were very vocal about we want to dominate the free throw battle because if and we shot about sixty four percent, which isn't horrible for a high school team. We shot between sixty four and sixty five. I think every coach has the goal of 70, but I don't know if I've ever had a team shoot 70. I've had players shoot 70. So I think if we can keep it that 65%, you know, that's not bad. And, and we had, we had a game, a reaching game on the, on the road. We shot 35 free throws. The other team shot eight. And I talked to the coach after <laughs> yeah. the game. I'm like, man, you're getting hosed in your own place. Not that we, we shouldn't have shot 35, but man, you shouldn't have shot eight. But the players bought in, and we put the officials in a situation where you're going to have to make a call here. And uh, that not, not to ramble on about that, but I think the more I think about it, the free throw battle is huge for, for us. Yeah, and and I'm sure you're setting up your offensive system to uh, for penetration or, or post-passing. Um, I mean, that, that's the key. I think that's the key at every level. Um I mean, definitely attacking the paint. We, were, I mean, we really believe in attacking the paint. Um, but you definitely got to have some players that are capable of doing that. What do you work on to get that ball inside and get fouled? Well, last year it was easy because I had a six-seven kid who was two eighty who signed with Barry, so it was pretty easy. Uh, but what he did do a great job of was passing out of the paint. He did a nice job getting fouled. But what we're doing now, we're changing our offense a little bit. We're going to go more towards dribble drive. Last year, my first year, um, I didn't feel like the group – I didn't want to give the team a ton of freedom uh, because I, I looked at previous film of shot selection. And I had nine seniors on that team. So that changes – I had nine seniors on last year's team. So technically, year two is just like a year one all over again. There's only one kid – who got any playing time, who's played on this year's varsity team. So last year's team, I knew I had them for one year. So we ran we ran um, some four out, one in, Villanova style, uh, and we ran uh, the swing offense from Wisconsin a little bit when we wanted to control the tempo. And, yeah. you know, we just looked at attacking gaps and, and kicking out and getting to the bigs and um, – but now with dribble drive, we're really looking on attacking the paint, putting you in a situation, help side, having a shooter in the corner. Um, and, I, and I think that we will be successful because this year's team is different. We don't have a six, seven big. We have a nice big, but he's not taking up space like that kid. And we've got a bunch of six, one to six, two guards with pretty good wingspans. I can put it on the floor and make a play. So I really like this team. I think we're going to be, uh, you know, mo- no one expects us to be any good. We lost nine seniors, three of them who play are going to play college basketball. So I think, yeah. I think that I hope everyone just keeps thinking we're not going to be any good. We're going to f- slip under the radar, and I really think we're going to upset some people this year. And be, and we're definitely going to be very competitive because uh, this year's team has depth, and I haven't had this type of depth in, in two or three years between girls and boys. But, um, you know, I think you've just got to – you've got to have – you've got to teach kids – I'll go back to your earlier question, sorry um, – to how to get fouled and how to also attempt to make it. So many kids go into the paint, and then there's going to be contact. They just throw something up. Like, no, you want to get a shot up on the rim. You, you want sure. to try to get an end one. On the road, you're not going to get that call. you got to assume you're not going to get the call. You're trying to make the shot. 
step up and uh, stop penetration. And you better uh, rotate down on the backside. If not, our bigs will be there waiting on it. Yeah. And, um, we I, kind of similar to what I'm kind of an old school guy. We want, we want a little bit of a um, kind of a swing motion offense and so forth, but we try to get dribble penetration from it. Cause I, I still believe in the pass uh, and the ball movement and things like that. Cause we don't have kids. If, if, if We believe in dribble drive within kind of a basic motion. Um, right. And uh, we actually uh, have some kids that don't need to be dribble driving. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was oh, almost like the clinic we heard the other day. It's like, you know, how many, how many dribble drive kids do you have? And it looks like, sounds like you got the right idea because you have probably multiple kids that can handle. Right. No, I think we do. And I think I tell you what I've been doing this summer in the offseason. I've been trying to pick coaches' brains and just talk about coaches like, you know, you, I can't put four great ball handers on the floor. So I can put two. I can put three. Sometimes, you know, it'll just be two. But where to put the other players, how to space it out. And, and sometimes you just kind of pass it and cut through and feel. Like it, yeah, I'm going to have to teach the kids. You're not always trying to get to the rim. It, it's nice if we can when you see the um, availability. But also we want to do some dribble handoffs. We'll dribble – you know, we'll have some back doors. We'll have some ball screens. So, you know, I think the initial – and then we'll run some quick hitters that go into dribble drive as well. But you're right. There may be sometimes we just kind of pass around two or three times and no one puts it on the floor. And that's why the kids have got to understand, you know, th- what is the goal of the offense? Now, we're still going to run swing. We're still going to run swing. If we need to run some clock or we're not doing things well, let's say I've got three non-ball handlers out there, we're still going to run that. And we'll just run it and run it and run it and run it till we get uh, what we want. I was watching film the other day of a, a huge rivalry game. Actually, last year – was the first time we'd swept Heritage in school history. They're a big rival. They're a 4A school. We're a single-A school. So it was two big wins for us. But we had a couple possessions. We had 16 and 17 passes, and we got a layup out of it in the end. So last year's team definitely didn't rush to take a quick shot um, too often. Obviously, they're kids, and they're going to do that occasionally. So I don't, I, I'm like you. I don't mind a 15, 16-pass possession at all. Not at all. I mean, I um... – you know, I think sometimes you give up some some really good shots, but I tell you, you can wear out a defense, man, by doing that. I, um, I mean, that's hard to play defense for 16 passes. <laughs> I mean, and particularly if it's, if it's really crisp passing. Uh, Matt, tell me about your practice. I, I love kind of formulating practices and so forth. Um, what is your practice philosophy? And give me like one or two of your favorite drills that you like. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think that's the one thing as a coach that I'm constantly tweaking is practice. Um, but what I did last year, and we'll probably do it this year, is I like to start out practice with ball handling and, and passing um, for the first couple of drills. You know, we definitely want to do some good ball handling, do some good passing drills. I got from uh, Coach Novak at Bethel in in, um, in in Minnesota. He's really, really good. Work. And then we'll go into some uh, more intense passing drills, uh, a perfect passing drill where it can be four-on-four four or five-on-five. Five. And the bottom line is you're just trying to get ten consecutive great passes, catching with two hands, making a nice crisp pass. 
Then we'll go into some full court, get up and down, some transition defense. So I wanted our first 20 minutes will be fundamental, getting back on defense, ball handling, footwork, shot fakes, catching, things like that. But you break a really, really hard sweat in that first 20 minutes. And, and then from there, we usually uh, will go straight into our half-court defense, which, you know, last year we ran a lot of packed line. This year I believe we'll do a lot of packed line, but we're going to tweak some things. I think this year's group can get out and put more pressure in three-quarter and full-court area. So we're going to, you know, get, be a little more uh, – pressure you a little more for 84 feet. Um, and then I like a good toughness drill in there, whether we're taking charges, whether it's a great rebounding, a really just a toughness, physical. And we make everything competitive. And, you know, we may have two teams – four teams going, two teams on one end, blue versus white, two teams on one end, blue versus white. There's always a winner. We're always tracking some type of score, you know, in with a few push-ups or a down and back. Like, I just want guys to take pride in, in winning the small drill. Um, and then we'll also – we work on transition defense every day. And I like to end practice with, you know, some type of uh, – some sometimes five-on-five, five, but – you know, it can be, you know, I, I get my first five and they've got to get three stops in a row or they've got to get a stop, they've got to get a score, and then they've got to get another stop. So I want something competitive at the end of practice. And then I think this year I'm going to, on certain days, end the practice with a good competitive shooting competition that we will track. So, like, I, I knew a, a good coach here years ago, George Hammer, he coached at Red Bank High School. He would have one day a week where – it was just how many free throws can you hit in a row? And sometimes coaches would jump in. He's like, man, I had, a, I had a girl hit, you know, 38 free throws one day, 53 free throws. So they just do every Wednesday. At the end of practice, it was how many – now, when you miss your first one, it's over. So I got a couple of shooting games. I want to start tracking and keep, like, you know, consecutive free throw champion or there's a bird shooting drill we do or various things like that. And end of practice with something offensive that also the kids are looking forward to. Not practice ending – but just a fun competition because our kids just like yours. They love to compete. They love to compete in everything. So I think we should put them in the locker room and, you know, have a yearly champion then have the career champion, just, just fun things like that. Yeah. I love the competitive side of that. And I love the aspect of free throw shooting. Um, and of course I was talking just to a friend of mine just, just today. And he was, uh, he's won three state titles in Ohio and, um, I asked him, what was the difference in when you guys won the state titles, foul shooting? <laughs> I mean, but but are we really – the question is, we're all guilty of not working on it. You know, I mean, you know, and that's something that sounds like you focus on that. Uh, well, we do. Now, the problem with free throw shooting, I think this is a struggle for a lot of coaches, is like how much time can you give to free throw shooting? I think free throw shooting, we can give it some time in practice. Like we've got a conditioning free throw drill. It works – you know, some running and, and, and uh, some free throws and things like that. But I think that's one of those things if, if just the kids will come in 10 minutes early for school, 15 minutes early. I mean, the thing about free throws, I think people are, are misconstrued. It's not about getting in the gym and shooting 500 free throws in a day. It's about shooting 50 free throws a day for 10 days. And so I think it's just this little, you know, commitment. Stay after practice eight minutes with a partner and get an extra 30 free throws. But – no, I mean, we're blessed. We have, you know, six goals in our gym. I know a lot of my coaching buddies, some have two. So, yeah, if you've got two goals or four goals, you've got 18 to 20 kids in there, it, it's tough to spend a lot of time on it. 
And I think that one thing that um, we've got, and I think we've got to stop doing this, and I'm bad at it, and I'm going to try to stop, is when a kid's going to shoot a free throw, they don't need the coach yelling, we, re- we need this. We got to have this. No one's missing on purpose. No one's trying to throw the game. Like, just, hey, you. I know one coach, the only thing that, that um, they're allowed to say to each other on free throws is, you got this. That's the only thing they say to each other. So here he hears, you got this from 15 people. He's feeling pretty good or she's feeling pretty good. And I think sometimes, you know, and then free throws, obviously, you know, mental on some level. But I think kids get up there, feels comfortable, has his routine, has her routine. And, you know, you can win a lot of games and stay in a lot of games with free throws. Uh, no doubt, particularly we're, we're, we're both we're both playing against, you know, tremendous teams and and those close games man it's going to come down to that isn't it i mean you know because we're all battling we got to battle with some great teams out here yeah um it always comes down to layups and free throws probably yeah. more on the girl side yeah no I, I you know i think i've been lucky and blessed to spend half my career in the boys half my career with girls now back to boys now i think you're right i think a lot of uh the girls games does come down to more right there around the rim uh, play. I mean, if you can shoot a high percentage in the paint, you know, from eight feet, eight feet in, six feet in, I think you can win, win a lot of games. I mean, I think about, you know, one of the best girls players ever um, coached I, in her career. She hit hardly any shots outside of six feet, <laughs> but yeah. she did not miss those shots within six feet either. She shot a really high percentage. She didn't shoot a lot of threes. I tried to get her to. She just, you know, didn't do it. And so we just like, we're going to put her down there. And she had a long wingspan, very athletic, and she just made a killing from six feet in. Yeah, those those lamps around. You're, you're exactly right, man. If you have a finisher like that, you can win a lot of games. I'm yes. telling you, after, there's so many missed shots in girls' basketball, Matt. That is, yeah, you've seen it. Um, that, to me, wins games right there. Um, hey, tell me, um, tell me a little bit. I'm a big believer that we talked about this the other day. We talked about, you know, playing over there at, uh, Phillips arena, you know, for the Hawks game. I'm a big believer that you take your team to a great place during the year to build that team bonding this year. We're going to Gulf Shores, Alabama. Uh, what are some things that you do to kind of, um, work on team bonding and building that? Uh, really that culture and the player relationships. Right. Well, in, in the past, you know, like I said, I've played, I've taken teams to play and uh, it was Phillips arena. I think now it's called state farm arena from what I've heard recently. Um, and taking them to some good tournaments, things like that. But yeah, my goal with Gordon Lee is right now we don't have any big place we're traveling to. I'd like to take, I'd like to take the kids to the Hoosier gym one day. That'd be my goal. <laughs> if I could take a class, I mean, you know, they, it would not be difficult to do. I'd love to take them there. But I think, you know, you, you go out to eat. I'd like to take my seniors out to eat uh, before the season. And, and not just basketball talk. Just talk about, hey, you know, what, what do you want from this season? How's your school year going? How, what are you thinking about in May and August? I'm just kind of get to know these guys. I mean, I'll tell you, for my one year at Gordon Lee, I've, that senior class and I just clicked for whatever reason. I love seeing those guys around campus i text them all the time how's college how's things going and but i think just 
you know, depend, you know, some coaches with busy budgets are tight and all that, but I think you just take the team out to eat, try to do a fun tournament, try to get a couple nights in a hotel, maybe go on like a little bowling night, just little things like that where guys can see you, see the coach as a human being and not just their coach. And I think that's very important. I totally agree there. I think, um, and I think it's, I think it's very important on the guy side. I think it's huge on the girl side. I mean, I, I think you you have to do that. If you don't, man, you're missing out. Because um, uh, let's be honest, girls are more relationship based. Um, you know, they want to have trust in their coach. Um, and I think, like you said, they got to be able to see you beyond the coach. Uh, hey, this guy, you know, he's, he's probably not a bad guy and so forth. He uh, seems like he cares about us, right? Isn't it, all, is, isn't it always about Do what caring? now? Oh, yeah. Oh. Don't oh. you think? I mean, oh. the players need to you know that you care about I heard, them. I heard a coach <laughs> recently say something about, you know, I'm not going to be buddies with these guys. I'm not their buddy. Well, I get it, man. You're not their buddy. You're not their friend. But you know what? When things are tough, parents are having problems, the kids, grandmother's sick, something like you want them to feel that they can walk into the office and say, Hey, look, coach, my mind's all over the place today. I'm just telling you, I'm going to practice hard, but I'm thinking about this one, mom, my grandmother's in the hospital, my sister, this, my brother just got deployed. If you can't have a relationship where these guys are going to talk to you about what's going on in your life, you're right. It's just about wins and losses. And when you walk out, when they graduate, you'll never cross their mind again, and they'll never cross your mind again. But that's – I don't think that's why any of us got into it. You know, I think we got into it because we work very competitive. We love right. the scoreboard when it goes our way. We love the few minutes for a game. We love the pregame speeches, the postgame talks. But I think when it's all said and done, you want to be going to your player's wedding in five years. You want them to text you that, hey, we just had a, a baby girl. You want that type of stuff in life. And you only get that through, like you said – relationships and having conversation and joking around and just having, and my God, it's a sport, man. It should be fun. It, it, it should be enjoyable for them to play basketball, regardless of the record. Now it won't always be fun. This will be some tough days, some tough nights, some tough practices, but the overall thing should be like, that was worth my time. The coach cares about me. He's not a complete jerk. He may be at times, but he has my best interest in heart at heart. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's definitely the right frame of mind. Um, and you don't know until, you know, eight, 10 years, 15 years down the road on the effect that you had on your players. I mean, I still see, I, I'm, I'm 54. And of course, most of my players now that I taught, you know, they all have families. And so I see them all the time. Um, and it's great that they come back, you call you coach, and they still feel like you had an impact on them. Oh, that, really to me, is what coaching is all about. Don't you think, Matt? His grandfather passed away. So I went to the, the funeral home to see the family. Another one of my – actually, this is pretty cool. Another one of my players whose wedding I went to just a couple years ago is now the head coach where, of my first job. So it's really going full circle. So it's like, wow, I coach – I coached this kid. <laughs> exactly, man. He's a really good player. And now he's the head coach back at his alma mater. So, no, it's great. I mean, I think about, I've had some really good seasons as a coach. Never won a state championship. I hope I do. 
But if I don't, I've still had a really successful career. I've had some really rough seasons, you know, demolished by injuries and things happen. But I tell you what, I, you can't ask me, go back 14 years ago and say, hey, what was, the rec- what was your record at that? I don't know what my record was, man, unless I'm doing something great. I don't know. But I know that it's nice to keep in contact with these kids. Yeah. And you yeah. want, like when your name comes up and they say, hey, did you play high school basketball to your former player? And they bring you up. Yeah, I played for, you know, Coach Smith. That it's a positive emotion that they're feeling at that point in time. That they, hey man, I learned discipline. I learned how to be tough. I learned integrity. Right, right. I learned to be on time. I learned how to play the game. You know, that's that's the things that are important. And I think that we've gotten to this. And there's a fine line. Again, it's not fun. It's not upward. It's not not. It's not upwards basketball. It's it's serious. And we spend more time in basketball during the week than we do in English class or science class. And we we're going two hours a day sometimes longer and early on. So like we're putting 10 or 12 hours a week into this. So it's going to be really, really difficult, but the players have got to see that it's, it's worth it. And I, and I don't think players quit necessarily over fun per se. I say, I think they quit because they're like, I just don't know if it's worth my time necessarily. And, and I think that even the guy sitting in the bench oh, yeah. has got to feel yeah. valued and you can't just talk to the star players during practice in the locker room. You've got to give everybody attention and let them know in the hallway. You talk to them. You give them a high five. You, you, you know. You just—it's not about your 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 minutes played for this team are not where your value is. Your value is being a person and being a part of this team. And hopefully, we can add value to your life. But there's a lot more involved in it than um, you know the scoreboard. And again, I, I love to win, and I'll lay stare at the ceiling for two days straight over certain losses, but. 15 years later, I think it's about the relationships. Yeah, I totally agree. And, uh, um, yeah, and, and it's tough during a season. Of course, of course, you know, it's funny, like, you know, now we're, we're a lot more relaxed, but um, you, you just, I guess as you get older, you realize that as a young coach, I don't think either one of us probably thought like, it was about impacting. You know, I think we all just trying to win, and, and that's no, part of part of learning yeah, and growing right. as a coach. This comes from experience, um, and you know when you're young, everyone tells tells you about experience, but you don't even know what it's talking about until you had that experience. And yeah, I mean, again, I think that you should yeah. a, a, a coach has got to care about their record. They want to care about how they represent the school. They want to put a good product on the floor. Like I tell my kids, I'm like, look, guys, we got families of four and five up there to spend five and six dollars a piece to watch you play. Thirty bucks for a family you better make them leave here thinking it's money well spent. I don't care what the score is. You know, one of my sayings used to be, you know, the scoreboard should not dictate our level of play. If we look up, we're down 40 to 18, we're going to play hard. If we're up 40 to 18, we better play hard. I don't want families I've, – I've told some teams, like, we just need to reimburse the fans after the game. This is a waste of, we wasted their time this night, how we represented, how we played. Those nights are rare. But I think the kids need to take pride that people give up two to three hours of their night hard-earned money to come watch you play and at gordon lee i'll look up there and see people they don't have a a son playing they don't have a daughter playing they don't have a grandson they just come because it's gordon lee and i definitely want those people to see hey this new coach they're they're doing some good things and 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 we play with pride and we play with passion and again records will be they'll fall into place they really really will Yeah, and you're um, 
you know, the score yeah, will take care of itself, right? That's it. Talent, the most talented um, team wins yeah. a lot of basketball games. I'm not saying you can't out-coach somebody, but if right. a team is truly more talented than you, I mean, like, I'm talking about it's not even close, well, you, you may pull the upset, but it's rare. So, but you still coach just as hard. You still play just as hard. The fans still cheer just as hard. And you always believe and there's hope. But, you know, some nights it's like, in your mind, it may take a miracle, but you still want to put the product out there because if it is about the process, which is, you know, the big, you know, word these days, you've got to be able to play hard when you're struggling and maybe not as talented or young because when that group gets older, that'll be a building block for success in the future. Yeah, that says a lot about the program when that happens. That's, to me, that's how you – that's a definition of a – a real program is the one that plays when they're down. Like you're saying, I totally agree with that coach. Tell me, you are the founder of the United basketball. Clinics, um, and you and I have a lot of similarities that we love clinics. Um, and I went to your clinic in Knightstown, Indiana last week, or was it two weeks ago at the Hoosier gym? Um, I had a blast. It was a lot of fun. Hey, tell your audience about, first of all, how you got involved in that. And, um, Tell a little bit about, you know, why you're doing the clinics and some of the – I guess you have a clinic coming up this right, weekend yes, in we Chattanooga, did. right? Well, when I moved to Chattanooga from Atlanta in 2008, um, you know, I would drive to Nashville, to Knoxville, to Atlanta for a clinic. And not that those areas are too far, but it's like I couldn't believe there wasn't a clinic in Chattanooga. So um, we are in a great spot in Chattanooga. There's a lot of colleges close by, UTC. Uh, Dalton State, Lee, Bryan, Covenant, Shorter, Barry. I mean, we have so many schools close by. So I just had my first clinic there six, five, six years ago. And we had some rock star coaches coming through Chattanooga. We had Will Wade at UTC. We had Jim Foster, who if you look up his – I mean, Gino, Gino started under Coach Foster. Now, he's off his coaching tree. Uh, Muffet McGraw was under Jim Foster. I mean, he is a legend in women's basketball. He was, he, he came to the clinic. I got some other D2, D3 coaches and, you know, the clinic just, just went well. I always have a team come on the floor, which is easy to do because we have a lot of, you know, schools close by that can do that. And, you know, Chattanooga was successful year one, successful year two, and then year three. And then I was thinking, man, maybe we could expand this because people were contacting me about, Hey, can you bring a coaching clinic here? And I had no clue how to do that. So I formed United Basketball Clinics, and, um, you know, we had last year we had clinics in Indiana, Chattanooga, Minneapolis, and we were going to do one in uh, Houston, but Hurricane Harvey uh, came through, and we had to cancel that. And and then this year we are in Chattanooga this weekend. We were just in Knightstown, and we're going to be in Greenville uh, September 22nd. So I enjoy the clinics. I mean – I enjoy the administrative part of sports. When I was 22, I was an athletic director. Um, so I like, I've always enjoyed running Christmas tournaments and uh, running fundraisers. I just like that part of it. And I think I do a pretty decent job at it. The more experience I've, I have, and I, not that I don't have tons of room to grow. And so the clinics, you know, you just, they just fell into my lap in, in a lot of ways because coaches speak. They always want to speak, you know, the, I never have a problem getting speakers. Uh, we've able to bring on some couple of sponsors, Dr. Dish, Noah Basketball, and some others. So 
So yeah, I, I really enjoy it. I hope it's something I can that will continue. We're gonna change cities, I'm sure, but Indiana will be consistent. Greenville is looking great right now. The the registrations are huge. Chattanooga's always successful. So yeah, I mean, I know you do a great clinic out there as well. I mean, we definitely have that in common. Yeah, and we would um you know what's funny is that we need one in Georgia because I mean you, and that's something that we've talked about um, that we really need a good site, whether that's Atlanta. I don't know what, what's your opinion on that? I know we talked about possibly cause I, you know, I'm trying to get you all out here at LOA, but uh, what's your opinion on getting one in, in I, the I uh, Georgia, Georgia area is a good location. I think that, I think that, you know, there's, I've always thought about doing one in that, South Atlanta, that Henry County area, because you can pull coaches from Macon, and you could also pull coaches from Atlanta. Yeah, I've thought about that in the past. Um, and, and then I'm thinking, man, could could you do a clinic in a? I mean, could you do a clinic in a Savannah, a place like that? I think that you know, I always look for a few things. I think you, for me, I've got to have a college team close by to be on the floor. Um, I've got to have speakers that can drive within an hour and a half, two hours. Now I've put them in hotels. I've had guys fly in, but that's, I can't have six speakers fly in and put them, you know, it's some of them got to just be there in a couple hours. So I yeah, think yeah. Atlanta would be good. Um, I think a spring clinic would be good in Atlanta because I think PGC is going back in the fall and it's a phenomenal clinic. I worked right. at that when I volunteered it. I love what they do, but I think the spring, the problem with the spring and maybe this new recruiting period, I've got to get clarification on that. You got to work. It's got to be after the final four. And it's got to be kind of, you know, before high school graduations would happen a lot on Saturday. So you've got a window of like the last week or two of April and the first week or two of May. And I think it's possible. That's the window I see. Now, I don't know what the new live period is for AAU and things like that. I need to educate myself on those things because that might change my mindset. A lot of states do a, cl a clinic in June or July. Maybe that would work. I, I don't know. I think the problem there is you've got so many coaches who also coach football, and they're, that's their focus all summer long. Yeah. Um, and you know what's funny, though, is that Georgia, I'll be honest with you, we might be the only clinic. I mean, there's a few clinics here in Georgia, man. And I try to get information on a lot of clinics. I mean, it used to be Atlanta. Nike doesn't even come to Atlanta anymore. I don't know what is going on with Georgia, but I think it's really a, a major need um, for coaching clinics here in, here in this state. Um, so I think it's something, I think there's definitely a need for it. Um Always searching for that right that right yeah. spot. Um, no, I'm with you. I mean, golly, Georgia has so many major cities: Savannah, Augusta, Columbus. Now, I don't know if necessarily Columbus only clinic would work, but I think that man, I've always thought maybe Macon, just because you've got a lot of private schools, a lot of public schools in Macon, a lot of middle schools, and you also have a rural counties that are you know that touch Bibb County and Houston County. So I've thought Macon's dead center of the state. A lot of schools are within 90 minutes. I mean, I'm amazed at how far people travel for the Chattanooga clinic. No joke. Last year we had a guy, a college coach fly from California for the morning session. And then he left. He just wanted to hear Lenny Acuff and Rick bird. 
I had a guy drive from Iowa. I've had a guy drive from Michigan. So I think that – now, obviously, those are outliers. But I think that Macon might could work just because – I mean, how far are you from Macon? An hour? We're, we're over we're a little yeah. over an hour, so yeah. People will drive 90 minutes to a clinic. I have no problem getting guys from Nashville and Knoxville. And a lot of attendees for this clinic in Chattanooga this year are coming from, uh, you know, above, you know, kind of that Georgia Tech and above line, you know. So right. I, Cherokee County, Cobb County. So, yeah, I think that – I think Georgia is not a bad one. I just don't know if I would do the fall. You'd have to – I think you have to work around a couple of things like the University of Georgia football schedule. Um, That's yeah. Tough. yeah, I agree I mean, with it's that. Like the South Carolina Clinic, September twenty second. I mean, signups are huge, and I was trying to find a date where well, there's no date where Clemson and South Carolina were both, you know, off or on the road. So Clemson's off. South Carolina is playing at home but it's all about the venue too like I, i'm having a bob jones so i had to find out when bob jones didn't have a home volleyball match so there are so many things that must fall in place perfectly to have a clinic um you know like tennessee has their first home game this saturday well i've had five coaches tell me they'd love to come to the clinic with their season ticket holders but it's hard for, exactly yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard for me to look at every s <laughs> and literally you can look at almost every sec schedule or at least georgia alabama and tennessee for me and, you know, you just try to find the best thing. I mean, I'm going to go to a clinic, period. I'm not going to miss a clinic to watch a football game, although I love watching college football. But you do have that, that group that definitely uh, would, will sit at home and do that. I think you have something, Matt, um, with June or July. I'm telling you, I think because there's nothing going on in June or July, except, except Major League Baseball. Um, or NBA, but I'm telling you, it's a sneaky time, man. Coaches, I know it's not basketball season, but the NBA still going on. Um, and I think it's a free time where the college, I'm telling you, I think that it's a possibility. If a dead period clinic would work. Now, the problem with the dead period is it falls on July 4th. See, in Tennessee, we had two weeks of the dead period, which was kind of nice. So I think in Tennessee, that could have worked well. In Georgia, you know, you don't want to have a clinic the week of July 4th, but let's say that July 4th landed on a Saturday and you did on the Saturday before. That might be the thing. I think the only thing that you know, definitely have to find is getting a college team on the court. So you'd have to get – or you'd have to – which I think is doable if you communicated with teams in advance and maybe, you know, they had five or six guys from staying for the summer or something like that. I mean, you don't – and if – it was right. a high school coach speaking. They can have high school players on the floor, but I don't think they could during the dead period. That's a lot of things to research, and I think Georgia is a good one. You know, I don't know where we're going to go in the future. I mean, I, I'm amazed when I look at my emails and my Twitter messages about – I mean, I've had coaches from Idaho, Iowa, Pennsylvania, Maryland, uh, Alabama, I mean, ask me about clinics. And I would love to expand – but there's so many factors and trade-offs of cost. And, you know, I've only got so many days I can be, you know, I'd love to take every Friday off for the fall and do a coaching clinic, <laughs> but that, that just isn't, <laughs> exactly. isn't, isn't feasible. But I think the Hoosier gym back to that one that, that you attended, that's just, I think what helps that clinic also, obviously Indiana is a hotbed for basketball, but also the Hoosier gym probably 
brings in a few more just because they want to tour the Hoosier gym at the same time. Oh, no doubt about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's yeah, that, that's a, that's a big selling point. Yeah, there's something about being able to get shots up in the same gym where Jimmy Chitwood was getting shots up, and you look up and there's Gene Hatman <laughs> on the wall. I mean, it and there's Larry Bird's picture and, and jersey in the lobby. I mean, it's really really cool. I mean, that is. I tell you what, you walk in the Hoosier gym. If you're a basketball fan, you don't get a few chills. Something's wrong with it. You might want to think about hanging it up. Oh, no doubt. I know I did. I know I had a great conversation with uh, is that Larry Level, um, one of the guys, one of the um, guys who runs the gym there. Uh, him and Bob, get, yeah, um, Larry and Bob Garner. Yes. Oh my God, those guys. He spent like I, I hate to say this. Uh, I went, I went back. And spent a little time with him, like three hours. He was telling me about the history. I I I, I learned so much from Larry, um, and you can tell. I mean, the guy had a tremendous passion for that gym. No, I'm telling you, that's the thing about what I've learned through these clinics. Because everyone, you know, we think about basketball. We think about the big time speakers, the guys who won multiple state championships. And again, those guys are great, and they put our game on the map. But it's the guys like Bob and Larry who work hours that no one's going to know about volunteer a lot of it so we can keep a place like that open and you know they'll host what 110 or so high school games they had 70,000 visitors last year we uh, have a coaching clinic there United Basketball Clinics I mean guys like that are invaluable and no one ever remember them outside of people uh, you know like you and I involved with the gym but I couldn't do my clinic it wasn't for them and to hear someone with that history, like Bob played in that gym in high school. Yeah, yeah, for Knightstown. So yeah, you're it's right. So impressive, and that community's great. And you know, if my wife would allow me to have a little summer home in Knightstown, I think I could spend a lot of time there. I mean, it's great. It's great. There's cornfields everywhere. Yeah. There's barns. The people are friendly. It's a lot like it's a lot like South Georgia. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, it's a great – I feel in love with the community. I got to tell you, I have one more question for you. I know I'm, I'm dragging on here. I drove to Milan, Indiana, to the museum to check out that town and went to there, and I met so many people that are, are part of that history of, of Milan. No, I've got to do that. It was fun. No, that's really impressive. I want to go to a couple – I want to go to the museum. I want to go visit – uh, what's the school? It's the largest gym in the nation that's close by. Is it Newcastle? Is it Castle or Newcastle? Maybe I, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. So I always go up on Thursday, and this year I played in the Legends of Indiana Golf Tournament on that Friday, and I met five of the guys who played on that Milan team. I met Bobby Plump, who yeah, who Jimmy Chitwood, you know, in the movie. So yeah, I, all most of the clinics I can have and not take Friday off, but I always am going to drive up or fly up on Thursday and play golf, visit some cool spots in Indiana and just make the most of it. I mean, that's a really special place. And I, I would love to see more guys make that trip, not just for the clinics, just because it's a really special place and it's in pristine condition. And it really wasn't, I mean, you drove and I drove, it was about eight hours for me. But oh man, it's but yeah, it is. And I think if you got four or five guys together from Tennessee or Georgia, you just make a little road trip out of leave on Thursday, come back on Sunday, and just you know, to take it off your basketball bucket list. 
Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. Hey, and I want to I want to play in that golf tournament next year. Come on. Yeah, no. Next year we need to get a team because I'm gonna I'm gonna try to I can't time my clinic around it, obviously. But if that if it's gonna be around the same weekend, I'll just make sure we have the clinic. Then I would love to go back. It was a fun little course there. They raised money for a good cause. Um, it was really special. And I don't know if these guys go to every tournament. But you got to meet some of the legends from that Milan team Hoosiers is based off of. And, you know, I just think when you shake hands with a guy that a movie's based after and he can tell you stories about the real team, there's something special about that. There's something special about also, you know, just spending time with investing in an older generation that loves, that played in the 50s, born in the 30s, that loves basketball and as much as you and I do. And it, for what they were able to do, it just helped our game even more. Oh, no doubt. Um, and, and, and just the, the lady that, um, and I'm trying to think of her last name, uh, Rachel, I forget Rachel's last name who owns the museum. She told me like they have thousands of people that come visit that town every year because of the movie. Do you believe yeah, that? No, it's a, it's a great economic booster for the town. I mean, so yeah, they come in, they eat at the restaurant, they hang out. And I tell you what was, what I was so thankful for at the clinic was so many coaches bought a t-shirt or a basketball or a movie poster. So the, the gym was able to make, I would think a few thousand dollars from the clinic, you know, Oh no I doubt. Know I bought, and I bought some things last year. I came home with like five shirts. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like me. so yeah. And what's impressive is you'll have these division one coaches. I mean, you had Greg Campy make sure he walked out there with a shirt. Yeah, last year, yeah. Last year we had um, Coach Kaufman from um, Fort Wayne. I mean, he took more pictures of that gym, and he reenacted scenes in the locker room. So it's pretty special when you get guys who are at the highest level in the game, like Division One, and they're in awe of that gym. And, uh, you know, and we were blessed with great speakers this year from Butler in Indiana and Michigan, um, Oakland, plus high school guys and some other, you know, I tell you, Mark Hester at Indiana East is phenomenal. Uh, he runs one of the best Division II programs in the country. He's so humble and easy to talk to. He and I have been texting back and forth about some pressing. I mean, these guys are truly want to give back to high school and middle school coaches. Oh, no doubt. I mean, that that's what it's all about. And, um, <clears throat> and I think, it's a shame that my clinic that I have here is at the same time, your last clinic. Um, and we're going to try to work that yeah. out. And we're try to coordinate. Cause I think I would love to have you see what we're doing here. We're, we're an old school clinic here of high school coaches. Right. Um, and uh, I think, you know, I, I think there's still a need for high school, great coaches, mentors, to mentor young high school coaches. What do you, and that, this is my, this is my last point. What do you think about that? No, absolutely. And yeah, next year or when we do our schedule, I definitely want to make it to your clinic and maybe play a little golf out there for sure with you. Um, but no, I think that, I think that we're in a time now and I'm not, I'm not old. I mean, I'm 39, but I've been coaching since I was 20. So I think I have a little bit of experience under my belt. I think that yeah. now a lot of young coaches want to do everything on Twitter, on YouTube, or whatever the um, the medium may be, but I'm just telling you, there's something about sitting across the table from Greg Campy as we're eating box lunches and talking basketball. 
there's something about having Bobby Crimmins walk in the door on Saturday and a guy can raise their hand and say, hey, Coach Crimmins, I want to ask you about this part of transition offense. I just th- I think that the human – to human coach to coach interaction we need to build and and i think you do need mentors i mean i have great mentors guys i still talk to some are older than me some are not too much older than me and we talk we i I call them when the season's rough and we've dropped four in a row four in a row at home i call them when things are going well i call them if i have a job offer you know i call them if i'm thinking about so i think that you definitely need these mentors to talk to and you know i just I love well, I love social media. I appreciate social media, but I think that it cannot replace just looking a guy, looking a woman in the eye and having a conversation where you get real emotion, real tone of voice, real perspective. Um, and I think that at your clinic, I mean, I think that's phenomenal. The coaches you bring in, the Legends Clinic, I mean, some of these guys are great. Like, actually, based on, you know, I know Gene, uh, Coach Durden spoke at your uh, clinic. Well, I've had a long conversation with him recently about some rebounding drills and things like that. And, you know, I could have followed him on Twitter and done all that kind of stuff, but I think it's better to have a phone call with him. I'm actually going to watch one of his practices um, here in October, the first Saturday that we're allowed to practice in Georgia. So, you know, I'm with you. I think, I think coaching clinics add value to the game, and I think it's good for these high-level coaches to get on the floor and and speak and I, what I want to do is I want to figure out how to get more middle school coaches at the clinics. So that's a great point. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think we get a fair amount of middle school coaches, but I think that these high school coaches have got to reach out to their staff, their feeder programs, and say, "Hey, there's a coaching clinic in six weeks. We'd love to go. We'd love to take you, and my account's going to pay for it." Because you know, middle school coaches, some of them are volunteers, some are community coaches. They don't have a budget. Some aren't teachers at the school. So I think we as high school coaches have to be proactive in reaching out and saying, hey, you're the most important person on my staff. I mean, my middle school coach at Gordon Lee Middle is phenomenal. He is unreal. He is excellent at what he does. And because he's so good, the guys are easier to coach and train when they get to me. Right, for sure. I just I think we've got to have a partnership. And I hear coaches say, "Well, I've got three or four middle, I've got three or four feeder programs. That's awesome. Bring them all, invite them all. You may not can pay for all of them, but make four phone calls. You know how we know what it would do for a middle school coach if the high school coach, who many of them want your job one day, or they think they want your job one day, or they want to see you sitting with you on the bench. You make a personal phone call and say, "Hey, man, I appreciate your you're valuable to our program. You're really valuable." Man, I'd love to take you to this coaching clinic with me. If you can't make it, I get it, but I just want to invite you. I think that would do a lot for relationships. Um, and I just would love to see that for my clinics. And there's a million excuses why people don't go to clinics, but I think that it's a good 50 or $60 or $70 invested. You get a Chick-fil-A lunch. I mean, heck, what can beat that? No, not at all. Um, I totally agree, and I think um, – it's a lot of work on our part because I, I think a lot of it has to be us, you know, making contact with those middle school. But I think what you're saying is I don't think varsity coaches are doing a great job with their feeder coaches. No. Guys like Dean Durden, uh, I believe, you know, what I do here, I, of course, we're all in the same school, so that helps. Um, but I, I think you're, you're mentioning a great point. I think we definitely almost need, Matt, a middle school clinic. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? 
just for feeder teams because yeah. I think there's a lot of stuff that they need. No, I agree. And I've, and I've even thought about ways because, you know, uh, you know, these clinics aren't bringing in a ton of money. You know, they're really not like recovering costs for the most part. But I thought about, you know, if a high school staff brings two coaches, uh, bring a feeder program coach for free. I mean, uh, my buddy who yeah. helped me with the clinics um, does a lot of our graphics and does just great to bounce ideas off of. He and I definitely want to talk about that because in our survey, you know, I do an end of clinic survey. You know, I think we do get a good percentage of girls coaches. I think our percentage is like 60, 40, 65, 35. Yeah. You know, that's not bad. I would have like that more, but it, it's good. Um, but man, we, we need these coaches in there and we need, um, we just need to show these guys are valued. I mean, who, what coach in the world, when they're dreaming of being a coach, it's like, I really want to be a middle school coach. We all coached middle school praying we'd get out of it one day. I mean, <laughs> right. And so I think we've just got to show these guys they're valuable. And I'm just telling you, a good middle school coach, he's your MVP. He truly, truly is, or she truly, truly, they really are. Um, and I, I love my, my guy. He plays man-to-man defense. He can sit back in a two-three zone sometimes, but he teaches the game the right way. And and I get it. A lot of these guys coach multiple sports. I, I understand. Middle school guys are, are busy, but I'm with you. We we've got to find a way to to just grow, you know and grow our clinics uh, because I think that you've got a good system. I've got a good system. I've got a good product, but we got to tweak it and make it better. And you know, I love reading the comments at the end of a clinic that people send anonymously. And a lot of them are, hey, could you tweak this? This could be a little better. This time, man, give me all the – because I really make a lot of changes based off of those things. Yeah, you need that, you need that feedback for sure because you're, you're trying to put the, a great product, um, you know, on the court there. Hey, hey, I, I appreciate you taking the time, Matt. Can you give us one last piece of advice for, hey, for example, a middle school coach who's, who's – um, one last piece of advice and kind of give us um, how these coaches can reach you. I know a lot of people want to reach you, whether that's for your school or through your clinics. Yeah. I think for the middle school coach, cause I was a middle school coach. I mean, golly, I have been blessed to do a lot of it over the years. Uh, I would say for the middle school coach, you just have to have a true understanding of what your purpose is. Is your purpose to make these kids the best possible player they can be when they go to the high school program. I think that's part of it. And I think a lot of your goal is that, I mean, middle school is sixth grade. That's really young. Sixth, seventh grade. You just want them to fall in love with the game. Just love the game. You don't want kids quitting in between the middle and high school year because they just didn't, you know, it was horrible. Now, granted, kids are going to quit. Not every kid's made for basketball. And every, not every kid's made to play for me or for you. But they, they need to love. Like my eighth grade coach, I'm telling you, if my eighth grade coach hadn't been so great, I didn't fall in love with the game. I wouldn't have played. I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't be coaching for 20 years, and I wouldn't be running the coaching clinic. So based on his effect, my effect on the game has been pretty big through the clinics because I had a guy when 1992 that invested in me. And I just think it's all about the purpose, man. And God, I had a girls' team here in Chattanooga, middle school. Um, we almost got shut out of a game. Like, I called a timeout. We were down. It was bad. We were down. It's middle school girls. We're down like 15 to zero. We couldn't score. We were bad. 
I, and I had an NBA player's daughter on my team, a former NBA player's daughter <laughs> on my team, because she was an awkward sixth six grader. I called a timeout and was like, if anybody scores, I will buy you Chick-fil-A. Well, you know what? We scored, and I don't have to tell the story about getting shut out. And the story is a lot more fun talking about buying a kid Chick-fil-A because we scored two points and lost 17 to two. I didn't call them and rip them and how bad we are. We can't score. It's like, you know, it, it is what it is. But it was fun. And I think you've got to just, why, what are you doing? Why are you coaching middle school? Is it to be a varsity head coach? Great. You may accomplish it one day. Or you may be doing middle school for 15, 16 years because that's your calling and you're really, really good at it. Um, and, I, and on the clinics, you know, our website's www.unitedbasketballclinics.com, unitedbasketballclinics.com. And there's a drop down. You can see the clinics. And you can see our past speakers. And our past speakers list is just like a who's who of basketball. I mean, it's um, – when I go back and look at the list of these guys who I call, people are always saying, how do you get these speakers? Well, I don't know them. I mean, I've got some connections in D1 basketball, but no one's making a call for me. I'm not dropping any names. I don't, I don't really know too many names. I just call them up and say, hey, coach, we'd love to have you. Like Greg Campy, I left a voicemail on the Oakland basketball general office phone. Just, <laughs> hey, Coach Campy, and I thought some GA would get it. Well, you know who called me back personally on my cell phone a week later? Greg Campy. And That's awesome. Yeah. The clinic. So I just ask people. Sometimes they can do it. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes I don't get a response. But I would say 75% of the time I get a response, and most of the time it's we'd love to do it, but we've got to recruit that weekend. We've got a home football game, and I get it. And I'll keep asking that coach. Asking that. There's a couple of big-time guys out there that I absolutely blow them up on because they give me their email. And you know what one of them told me? They're like, we appreciate you consistently asking us. Now, we're busy. We can't do it. We may never do it, but we appreciate that you consistently pursue us. And, I, and that's what we're going to keep doing. And I've got a list of, and I've never had the same speaker twice either. And I've probably had 60, right. 70 speakers, never had the same speaker twice. Now, we, we, we will have speakers twice. I'd love to have Kermit Davis back, Rick Bird, guys like that. But, yeah. um, you know, we're in a great area in, in the South. We have a lot of colleges close by. And some of the best speakers, like Coach Novak at Bethel College in a little Christian college in Minnesota is one of the best teachers of the game, period. Period. He's got a website. I think Coach Novak, CoachJoeNovak.com is really good. Um, so, yeah, I just reach out and ask these guys, and they've been great. And just like you, you know, you build connections. And next thing you know, you've got a great Legends Clinic, and you've probably done it for how many years in a row now? Yeah, this is our third yeah. year, yes. And, 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 it's, and, and I know Coach have been to your clinic, and I love it. And you're in a good part of the state where you can pull from, you know, many areas. So – you know, I'm, I'm like you, let's keep doing the clinics and, you know, keep growing the game. And if there's just me, you sit in the stands and we'll learn a lot. <laughs> exactly right. Hey, Matt, I sure appreciate you, man, sharing with us. Uh, I mean, you're having a big impact on not only your players, but a lot of coaches. Uh, thanks for sharing with us. I appreciate it. And um, I know we're going to hook up pretty soon. Good luck with your clinics. And uh, thanks again for coming on. I appreciate hey, no it. No problem. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. All right, bye. All right, bye now.